this morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? All right. You guys ready to do this? Great to be back. I was on tour with the band this week. And how many guys are thankful for our amazing worship team here? So we were in uh, Southern States this week taking our new album on tour, and it was amazing. You would have been so proud. People never hearing the music before within moments. They're jumping around, so excited. We threw out some beach balls, some glow sticks. There wasn't even an inflatable monkey at one time. I have no idea what that had to do with our worship tour. But if you haven't gotten our album, I want to encourage you to get that on your way out, support our worship team. This all goes into the worship movement here and an incredible resource to get. And secondly, I want to I want to uh, encourage you with one other resource. I also got to be with my mentor, Pastor Jimmy Seibert. He and his wife, Laura, who discipled Stephanie and myself, came out with a book on parenting. And I am a, a parenting book connoisseur. I try to read one uh, about every year. And I want to tell you, this is the best one I've read. And so, are any parents in the house today? Let me see. Can, you wanna, can I just give you this book right here? Well, it was kind of unexpected, but um, let's give her a hand as we, she comes up. Um, I, I really want to encourage you parents to uh, invest, invest in your parenting skills. Great resource. Both of those will be at the bookstore on the way out. Two very helpful resources. Well, today we shift to talking about marriage. And any marriage fans in the house? All right. And, and, and here's what I want to say, especially to you high school students, especially to you college students. Don't think this, this message doesn't apply to you. Be a wise master builder. Understand that if you get training before you enter into marriage, you have a much better chance of having a wonderful marriage. I think some of the reason that Steph and I have been blessed with such a great marriage is we received so much training before we ever entered into holy matrimony. So pull out your iPhones, pull out a pen, a paper, and let's take notes today. Let's be good students as we unpack today the four foundations of marriage. Now, Here's what I know. When we think about marriage, we have these ideals that come into our mind, right? We think about getting married. Our minds immediately go to the perfect setting, the most beautiful day, a beautiful wedding dress, a perfectly tailored suit, all our friends standing up next to us in the wedding party, every single one of our family members just totally happy for us, exquisite food, charming music, and we finish our, our wedding celebration, we're whisked away on the vacation of our lifetime called a honeymoon, and then we come back to the quaint little marriage cottage where we live in marital bliss forever, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what we think? And how many know that life doesn't always go as perfectly as we can imagine? And so we found a few clips this morning of some weddings that turned out a little less than perfect to show you to get our day kicked off. Stop keeping track. Talk myself. Oh, talk myself wedding cake. 
This guy's excited. He's like, I'm riding my bride across the doorstep through the threshold. Oh! All right, watch this one. Look at that ring. Oh, no! It's in the pond. This is awesome right here. Oh, wait, this, this wedding's on fire. Oh, we're on fire. Help him out! And I know that we can be so amazing. All right. Holy matrimony right there. This, this is awesome. Watch this camera moment. Oh, oh! Wait, they totally lose her. Like, where is she? Go! What was he thinking? Okay, this is the best. Here comes the bride! <laughs> oh. All right. So, um, I, I, I think that one of the, the reasons it, that, that, that we can get convoluted in marriage is that we have the wrong goal. Right, here's what I hear so many times. I've done so many weddings. And here is the main statement I hear well-meaning people say to the bride and groom. We just wish you all the happiness in the world. And although these people have really kind hearts, they're subtly giving off this wrong notion that the greatest goal of marriage is happiness that the greatest and highest and loftiest goal of marriage is happiness. And let me just tell you, to be human is to wake up one day and not be happy. And I believe that's actually why 50% of marriages these days end in divorce, is because at some point in your marriage, you're going to wake up unhappy. And then you start thinking, I must have married the wrong person because marriage was to make me happy. And can I just tell you that that violates a scriptural principle in Matthew 16, 25. It says this, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you know that the goal of marriage is not to make you happy? But the goal is much different, and that's what we're gonna uncover today. And we hope that you still will wanna get married after we're done this morning. <laughs> Um, but we just, we did want to give a disclaimer and just say we have 35 minutes with you guys this morning. And this is a huge, huge topic to talk about. And so we're going to go very broad. And so I know there's so many like nitty gritty little things that you'd love for us to address, but we want to go broad with what we see are the primary purposes from scripture for marriage so that you can build a firm, healthy foundation in your marriage. Foundation is everything as you build in your marriage. And so we need to go back to the very beginning to look at what God set up because in the beginning was God and God has order for everything that he does. And so I'm going to read Genesis 1:27. It says, "So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them. God wants to bless your marriage." Right. 
And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So point number one, foundation number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Marriage is about reflecting the image of God to the world around us. We're going to give you the foundations today for the purpose of marriage. And so you don't put your hope in a faulty foundation. Foundation number one is marriage is all about reflecting the image of God. Can you say reflecting, church? Reflecting. Very good. So several, several things to point out. First of all, men and women, you are created in the image of God. Do you understand that that makes you different than the rest of creation? Animals, they are not reflecting the image of God. Trees, although I love trees, they're not reflecting the image of God. Plants, not reflecting it. Fish, not even reflecting it, right? Birds, insects, humans are reflection of the image of God. And when you see a man in his honorable traits, you see him as a leader, you see him as a defender, you see him as an identity giver. You see him as a provider. You start understanding the character of Father God. And when you see a woman in her honorable traits, the nurturer, the bringer forth of life, the counselor, the comforter, you start understanding the character of God. And then you put them together and you see a holistic picture of who God is. What do you want to say about roles this morning, Steph? Yeah, so I think one of the things um, that men and women can do to distort the image of God is not fulfill their roles as man and woman. And we see this in the very beginning with Adam when he wasn't fulfilling his role as a covering or as a headship for Eve. So when she began to be tempted by the serpent and she got confused, well, she wasn't confused at first. She knew what God said, but then she wondered, well, maybe I should take this. Adam didn't step in and be a covering to her and lead her away from the, the fruit that they were not to eat, but instead he joined in. Now we clearly see um, in the natural, that we have different roles, right? In our bodies, the man very much has an initiating role, and the woman is a receiver. Likewise, the the man is was never meant to carry children. He has no womb, so he can't. Thank you, Lord. He can't. I, he can't. It, have you seen how awkward that is, man? She's like walking around with a big belt, you know, this big like basketball. I mean, it's like <laughs> we love it. Okay. Um, you know, and here's the thing. Sometimes men, there's some men that actually are more compassionate than women. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean that she is to forsake her role as to nurture, to be a nurturer, a counselor, um, one that, that helps. Um, and so, you know, I think what can happen is people confuse roles with identity and with gifting. And so if, if someone feels uncomfortable in, in their, their role, they don't know how to walk out that role, um, they, and they begin to confuse things with identity and then gifting, um, and, and they're concerned that their giftings won't get worked out in, in the marriage, then you can have a very dysfunctional, dysfunctional marriage. 
And, and so I think there is a purpose that God has that's much greater than giftings. And it's the role of man and woman to display the glory of God. And so we forsake our roles and, and we, we miss a whole area where God's glory is to be displayed on the earth. Hi. <laughs> let's, let's move to the New Testament for a minute. Let's bounce forward to Ephesians 5. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the writer of the majority of the New Testament, says this very eloquent text concerning marriage. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. And then on in verse 31, look at this. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. We not only reflect the character of God, but as husband and wife, we reflect the most profound union in all of the universe, which is Christ and the church. What an incredible privilege to actually reflect God and the church. And I believe that this is why there's so much attack on marriage. Because marriage is to show a hurting and dying world the goodness of God and its commitment to his people, the church. And so... The enemy is constantly attacking marriage. I mean, you, you just watch in our culture, less and less young people are wanting to get married. And they're not valuing, well, I'd, I'd rather just live with each other, or I'd rather just be independent, or I'd rather just play the field. Why is that happening? Because the enemy knows that every time a husband and wife come together, it's a powerful picture of the goodness of God and this commitment to the church, and it's a, a picture of the bride of Christ adoring its bridegroom. Are you following me? And there's why there's all kinds of sexual orientation and gender confusion as well, because only a man and a woman coming together, being both made in the image of God, complete each other and display the glory of God. And so we celebrate engagement. We celebrate weddings around here because it's an opportunity to glorify God in the natural. I mean, any guy who's been married can talk about the profundity of that moment where you're standing at the altar and you're waiting for your bride to come to you. And she steps out of that door. And you know that she spent the last like five or six hours, I mean, from the time she got up in the morning, I mean, she got her, you know, like her fingers perfectly done and her toenails done perfectly like air brushed and everyone's been clucking around her and you're like that's all for me wow and then the weight of the moment where you're going she's giving herself fully me she's trusting me like this is all about her committing her life to me and that that power you feel I actually have a picture just to take you guys in a little more of Stephanie coming down the aisle there she is there's my beautiful bride. I, I, I remember my heart was pounding, you know, and I, I, I am overwhelmed with excitement when she was coming down the aisle. She looks the exact same. Now watch, I look the exact same. Let's show the picture of me. Yeah, maybe a little different. Actually, I actually had hair back then. And, uh, but I am elated as my, as my bride is coming towards me. I, I've actually had the chance to do 
countless weddings. And watching different grooms in that moment, I've seen some grooms do some crazy things. I remember one guy, the bride comes to the door. You never know what a groom's going to do. This guy's overwhelmed. And instead of standing there nice, you know, it's this formal occasion, he starts going, yes, 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 yes. Every step she took, he goes, yes, yes. It was like he was sinking like 50-foot putts, you know. Oh, yes, yeah, I'm like, calm, calm, calm down. I, I remember... You remember this one wedding, uh, Trevor and Alina. Uh, Alina walks out, and Trevor goes, <laughs> he is sobbing out loud. Like, over the music, I'm like, shh, shh. Like, trying, trying to, he's like, <laughs> literally sobbing uh, out loud. So, and I remember a wedding that I just recently did. I won't tell you their names, um, uh, Sam Hernandez, but that he was, <laughs> he gets so focused on Holly coming down the aisle that he just stops and stares at her. And I'm like, I, I actually have to go, hello, can you turn around and face me? Like he was so lost in her. I'm like, excuse me, guys, I'm here. Can you, can you actually turn and face me? Because he's just looking at her like, oh my God. <laughs> But, but why are those moments so transcendent? It's because it's one of the closest experiences we'll ever have of heaven on earth. But because you know at the end of time, God has chosen a wedding to be the grand culmination of human history. Where Jesus comes and he's given to the bride of Christ, those who believe in him. And so we have this powerful prophetic picture. And, and, and by the way, I can't tell you how many people that would probably never darken the door of a church, but they come to our weddings and they just get lost in the majesty of them. And then we as preachers get to share the good news of Jesus. I mean, that, that's why we love weddings around here. It's just glorious. And so number one, we are, our goal, hey, there you are, Sam, y'all are here, hey. Uh, so don't do that to me if, if I marry you, pay attention. Uh, so <laughs> we are to reflect the character of God and are a picture of the bride of Christ. Steph, why don't you read the, the next verse to, to get us going here on point number two. Great, so secondly, um Marriage is about companionship. The second purpose um, is companionship. So I'm going to read Genesis 2, 18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. You know, that's, that's why we call our spouse our other half. As you read the Genesis account, the account of creation, you get this beautiful phrase after each day. It says, and God said it was good. And God said it was good. And there was light, and God said it was good. And there was green, gra- uh, green you know, um, stuff, and, and God said it was good. <laughs> the, the only thing that God says is not good in creation is for man to be alone. Isn't that amazing? That's the only thing he said wasn't good when he created the world. Now, let me just give us a, a side disclaimer. We've said it each week that we know that God calls some people to be celibate. He gives them the gift of singleness. The Apostle Paul, the Prophet Daniel, John the Baptist, 
Jesus. We know that that is a gift from heaven, but we also have to look and say God's blueprint for the vast majority of us is to not be alone. That Scripture says one might put 1,000 to flight, speaking of a battle, but two will put 10,000 to flight. There's a synergy. There's a multiplying effect when two people come together, and God wants to give us a companion to live life with. Why don't you share on this, hon? Yeah, so I think it's important um, in your marriage for your spouse to know that they are priority to you, right? And um, obviously, you don't, you don't get married and drop everyone else. You drop your friends. You drop your family. No, but, but there, is, um, there is importance in your spouse knowing that they really are priority to them, and they need to see that in real time and not just with the words. And so I think there, there are times where you um, have to say no to something else so that you can show your spouse that you care and that you, you want to be with them. You know, I can get very task-oriented in, in life, and so when it's Robert's day off, I think of my million task things that I need to do. And we had to recently just talk through this again because I'm just going, 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 and he wants time with me. And so I need to put aside my task list list, and just be with him and have a date and show him, hey, this list will be here forever. Well, actually, hopefully you will. We'll, we'll be forever in heaven. I will totally do it soon. Together. Um, <laughs> so. well, let me just say something as, as, a, as a man. I remember in college, I had what many would be considered the, the ultimate college experience. I got to study abroad. I'm in London. On the weekends, we had a, a train pass, and so we'd go to these beautiful sites. And I remember being confused when I'd come to these sites, and there was this subtle uh, aching feeling, this kind of disappointment in me as I would be looking at this incredible castle, or I'm staring at Stonehenge, or I'm at these beautiful locks in northern England, and I'm going, what is wrong with me? And I realized that life's experiences, uh, beauty, and and excitement loses its, its sweetness when you don't have someone to savor it with. And I just thought, man, I'm having the penultimate experience, but yet there's an underlying sorrow in me. Then coming and getting married, I realized there's a a, a deeper contentment and fulfillment when Steph and I just walk down the street of our neighborhood hand in hand than there is when I'm looking at the Arc de Triomphe by myself. When, I, when I'm on the most beautiful, picturesque scenery. Why? Because God created us for companionship. He created you to experience life with someone else. I think one of the dangers that can happen in a marriage is once the kids come along and they begin to grow up, those, your kids' needs become priority even over your marriage. And it's like your marriage is like a pot on the stove that gets put put in the back corner and forgotten about, and then all of a sudden that pot is burnt, that thing in the pot is burnt um, because it's not tended to. And so I think it's very important 
to always be tending to your marriage. One thing that we used to do um, in the beginning years of our marriage is we'd take a 24-hour retreat, a marriage retreat, and we would talk about all the different areas of our marriage. So we'd talk about sex life. We'd talk about our finances. We'd talk about uh, communication, friendship. And we'd take time individually to write down how we thought we were doing in those areas and how the other one was doing in those areas. And then we'd come together and we'd compare notes. And then if they were off, we'd, we'd talk about how we can move forward in those areas because we wanted to be intentional in our marriage. So wives, let me just speak to you for a minute. This is your husband's biggest need. He wants companionship. The more I study marriage books, the more I see this is always at the top. Wives, your husband wants to go on adventures with you. If you're wanting your husband to be more talkative, if you're wanting him to be more communicative, to share his heart more with you, don't just sit him down, knee to knee, and say, just share with me. <laughs> that, that, that's not really how men work. But wives, if you, if you want your husband to open up, say, let's go on a hike. Hey, let, let's, let's go out and, and, and have an ad adventure. Let's go camping. Let's go shoot some baskets. I know you're like, what in the world? Let's go to a ball game and then watch your husband in the midst of that adventure turn and pour out his heart to you. Tell men where some guy to say, yep. All right. You men love me right now. <laughs> and wise, I just want to say, if you hate basketball, just know you are being more like Jesus every time you bounce that ball <laughs> because you are laying down your life for your husband. All right, don't worry, wives. We're about to get the husbands here. Okay, so number three, number three, marriage is about co-laboring. Say co-laboring, church. There we go. Let's look at the second part of this verse, Genesis 2.18. It says, I will make a helper suitable for him. If you looked at the word helper in the original, in the Hebrew, it's azer. Azer means something interesting. It means front opposite. So as a woodsman, when we'd be out in the woods and in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts, you learn to build a shelter. And you learn to build a simple shelter called a lean-to. In order to build a lean-to, you have to have two branches that are equal to each other. Can I just say, that is why we believe and so wholeheartedly preach that as a believer, you should only date and marry other believers. Because you need your equal opposite. Scripture is very clear. It says, do not be unequally yoked. A believer should not be with an unbeliever. What does light have to do with darkness? Now, am I saying once you're married and you find yourself with an unbeliever, get out of there? Absolutely not. The Scripture is very clear about giving us uh, understanding and keys to bring that unbeliever to a place of understanding your love for them and God's love for them and ultimately bringing them into a saving knowledge of God. But what I am saying for so many singles in here, once again, you fix your eyes on Jesus, you run at him full sprint and you look to your right and your left, find someone who's running at the same pace and that is your front opposite. That's your suitable helper. And that's what we're looking for in marriage because God... He ends up giving Adam a calling. We're very passionate about people finding their callings. Here, Adam's calling, he's put on earth, and it's the same as yours, to extend the garden, to extend his kingdom, and to rule and reign over creation. On a side note, one of my favorite things to do is someone says, you know, you're on a plane or you meet someone new, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm in a training program, you say. People will inevitably say, oh, what are you training for? Oh, I'm training to rule and reign the universe. 
uh, it's always an interesting conversation starter, that you are training to rule and reign and extend the kingdom of God. That that is your purpose, and we are created to do it together. Steph, why don't you share on this? Yeah, so when before Robert and I got married, uh, we were both in ministry, and then when we got married, we, we began to co-labor in ministry, and he was, um, I helped alongside him as he was leading out um, in the college ministry, and two years into our marriage, I started, we started having children. Um, I bore them in the womb, Um, but together they were ours. Um, I helped them get there. Yeah, you did. Um, Okay. That's like in coming weeks. Okay. Okay. So, um, So my role began to shift as I needed to stay at home more with the kids and show the kids that they were priority over a role. Um, And so, however, just because I was at home and began to have a different role, I very much saw that we were still co-laboring, okay? So um, the way that we saw it was our purpose is to bring the kingdom of God in our sphere of influence, okay? So we were co-laboring in that. Our children are a huge part of our sphere of influence, right? So together, we are training our kids to walk with Jesus. And we are believing for them to fall in love with God and train them in how to walk in their destiny someday. So there is a co-laboring in that. We also are co-laboring in believing for God's purposes to come to pass in the church. I may not be alongside him at his desk, but we are very much co-laboring. I may be interceding at home or meeting with different people or speaking in their lives, but it's very much a co co-laboring because we are of one heart and one mind. And so together, we are believing for the kingdom of God to be advanced, no matter what our job is. This is how marriage doesn't work. If the husband says, I'm going to go off and do my thing, and the wife says, well, I'm going to go off and do my thing, we're made to advance the kingdom of God together. And we find the greatest fulfillment when we do that. That's why missionaries are known for the greatest marriages on earth, is because they went off and said, we're advancing the kingdom of God together. Now, what's the lesson here? Be a missionary in whatever sphere of society God has called you. So be a missionary in your neighborhood together. Be a missionary together in the marketplace. Be a missionary on the soccer field when your kids are out playing. Partner together, co-laboring, advancing the kingdom of God, and you will find the byproduct of that will be joy, harmony, and intimacy. So on that, if, if ladies, if we are called to be their front opposite, I, I want to encourage you out of Ephesians 6, it says, um, be strong, let me find my, be strong, um, in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That admonition is to everyone, not just men to be strong in the Lord, but to women. And I think sometimes a tendency for women, not all women, but some can just say, let me hook my wagon up to his and honey, lead me home. You know, just kind of let him take over. And I want to say that women... If we are to be a front opposite, we are to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And so we are to help uphold him when he is wanting to fall and vice versa, right? And so 
that is where I would say we don't stop spending time with God once we get married and let him just take the day. But we continue to grow in our friendship with God and be the front opposite that he needs. Um, I, I think that there is a strength, though, that we do gain from our husbands. And um, in Proverbs 31, um, verse 10, the woman, um, about the woman, it says, A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Every woman wants her man to believe in her and to place value on what she has to say and bring to the table. And her, her character had, was proven here. And, and she knew that he had confidence in her. So she felt empowered to do the tasks that were assigned to her to do. And vice versa, he felt so respected and believed in by her. And so he was accomplishing what God had given him to do. They were front opposites. All right, so let's go to the fourth foundation, the fourth purpose of marriage, and that is conforming us into the likeness of God. Conforming us into the likeness of God. I like what one book says, The Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. It says, what if the purpose of marriage is not to make us happy, but to make us holy? What if it's not to make us happy, but to make us holy? We find this in Ephesians 5. 25 through 27, let me just read it again. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other uh, blemish, but holy and blameless. So how does marriage conform us into the image of God? First of all, men, we... Start being conformed in the image of God by learning to love. It says, husbands, love your wives. We're taught to love our wives. And when we do this, the Bible says that God is love. So we start learning to love a wife. We start becoming more like Jesus. Now, I, I can just tell you, this takes some sophistication. Because typically, we try to love like we like to receive love. Is that right? So have you heard of the five languages of love? Can we just put those up for a minute, guys? Five languages of love, an incredible book by Gary Chapman. Encourage you to read it, but it outlines five different ways that we like to receive love. Touch, time, gifts, words of affirmation, acts of service. So let me just tell you what my languages of love are in marriage. I love to be touched. Just touch me. Bring it on, girl. Just touch me. And, and, and secondly, I love words of affirmation. You know, who doesn't love to be told that they're the best, right? So what I did was I took this into my marriage, and once we got married, you know, I'm just saying, hey, if you ever notice, I always try to kiss Steph when she comes out on stage, and she's never let me do it yet. See? I <laughs> For me, I'm thinking that's the best thing I can do is to kiss you and to kiss you in front of all these people. <laughs> like, what a great idea. And words of affirmation. So I would know Steph would walk in a room and I'd be like, whoa, what's up, baby? Woo, look at that hottie that just came in the room. <laughs> and she's like, that's kind of embarrassing. And I'm thinking, no, say that to me. You know, hey, look at that hottie that walked in the Not room. I'd be like, what's of. up? Like, oh. you know? <laughs> no. 
So she doesn't like to receive love. Something's wrong with her, obviously. She doesn't receive love the way that I like to receive love. Now, now men, let me just teach you for a moment an incredible way to take strides forward in your marriage tonight. Once your kids go to bed, go into your bedroom, shut the door, <laughs> dim the lights, walk slowly over to your wife and say, what are your languages of love? <laughs> I, I found out from Steph that her languages of love, her first one was gifts. Bummer. I'm a pastor, totally. and I'm German background, frugal, so I don't, I don't I like... I just want to say, our first year marriage, he gave... This is not in the notes, so this is I very just, scary right now. I know, it is your... He gives me a pair of gym shoes, and I was like, awesome. Guys, gym shoes? I'm, I'm, I'm like, you can run with me. Right? I mean, like, I wasn't running at ever. the time. I'm like, are you trying to sell me something? Like, I need to start running. Okay, so we've worked through it. I was trying to learn it. And the next gym. year, he got me gym shoes. It's okay though. Secondly, I find out, I find out her second gift is acts of service. Bummer. I'm a pastor. I can talk. I can't do anything with these hands of mine. Right, right. I mean, so, so. But you know what? I I have learned. I have I have learned to try to think. Okay, what what kind of gift can I give? I have learned to try to do things for Steph. Why to show her I love her? I'm getting into her world. Let me just ask you, married couples. Do you know your spouse's languages of love? Right. And, and here's the second thing I did. Well, some of you guys are all cocky. You're like, yes. Okay, well, maybe I didn't, okay? <laughs> Second thing is, I asked God, God, how can I love my wife better? So I, I take a personal day, uh, a prayer retreat, one, one day before each semester, and in that time I say, Father, you know your daughter better than I. How can I love her better? And he rebukes the tar out of me. But you know what? That's good because... I, I want to be corrected so I can better love my wife. Have you asked God how you can love your spouse more? I encourage you to do that. Now, now the second thing is, it says this, by he gave himself up for her. Can I just tell you, if you don't like being a servant, don't get married. If you don't want to lay down your life, don't get married. Because great marriages come when two people learn to lay down their life for one another. And of course, that conforms you into the image of Jesus because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. So if you want to learn how to serve, then get married. Because you need to lay down your life for the rest of your days. And then it says this, this interesting phrase, with the washing of the word. Can I just tell you that the foundation for a healthy marriage is built on God's word? One of the best things you can do, probably in my opinion, the best thing you can do if you want to have a great marriage is to daily spend time with God. Get in his word every single day. So 
When we get in the Word, the Bible says that we renew our minds. So there's two things that are going to happen. One is you're going to become more like Jesus because we become renewed in our mind. Let me just ask you a question. Which do you spend more time doing, watching TV or reading the Bible? I'm not saying that to, to heap shame or to be religious. I'm just saying you become what you behold. So if you wonder why you're having a lot of struggles with lustful thoughts, men, maybe it's because you take in more of the spirit of the world than the spirit of God. So you get in the word and watch it change you from the inside out. Watch you become a better husband. The Bible has the truths that we need to lead our marriages in righteousness. Secondly, with the washing of the word, the second thing to do is pray the word over your spouse. I realized in the beginning, even though I'm a preacher, I could never talk Steph into changing. But I realized when I started praying, we all need to change. There's aspects of our life that God brings us into marriage to transform us. I realized when I spent the time praying, instead of spent the time preaching to her, that the very changes I was believing for started to happen in her life and vice versa in my life. So pray the word. Get promises from God over your spouse and start praying those in to their lives. Yeah, I think one thing that we can tend to do, obviously he was praying those things, but there are times that we talk through things as a couple to give each other feedback and I think sometimes we can be quick to get offended instead of really listen to what they're really saying. And we're, we're quick to um, jump to a conclusion when really what they're saying, you're taking it personal and, and there is a place where we are called to change. Like we are called to lay down our lives for one another and it hurts to change. Like it hurts to change and lay down your life. And so sometimes in the journey, it really hurts. So I'm gonna read Ephesians 5.33. Um, it says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. Ladies, our husbands, they want to be respected. There was probably a reason, hopefully, that you married them. You probably very much respected them. And maybe in the journey, little things can happen where, you know, you watch little things that they're doing, and it they begin to lose your respect. Well, they feel that. If you begin to lose respect for them, they, they feel that. And it's very important that we continue to call out the gold in them and encourage them in places where, where they need the encouragement so they can rally. Now, I'm not saying if there's a, a behavior, you know, like, honey, you sit on that couch so well, like for so many hours. You do such a great job of that. Um, you don't need to, like, encourage in that way, but you need to call out the gold you see in his life. There's tons of gold in every man in this room. There is tons of gold in their life. And honestly, sometimes they're just waiting for you to call it out. I think so much of the wife role is to call out that gold um, in them so that they can rally um, to what God has called them to do and to and to be. And so I want to encourage you tonight, when you get when you crawl in that bed, go to bed at the same time tonight. Um, don't do your late night project. Just go to bed together. And wives, I want you to ask your husband, I want you to say, honey, do you, if you don't call him honey, you don't have to call him honey. But I want you to say, do you feel respected by me? 
for real. I want you to tell me if you feel respected by me. And if they, if they say yes, I want you to take it a step further and say, okay, I want you to tell me what do I do and what do I say that makes you feel respected? And that will bring you into his world and his side a lot more so that you can either keep doing those things and get more skilled at that because you want to be skilled at respecting your husband. It's not just, oh, you don't fall into being good at respecting him. I think it's a skill. And then um, also, if he says no, don't be offended by what he says back. And I want you to say, okay, what, how can I change? Because, ladies, I think sometimes... Our husbands hear negative a lot. And I know at times in our journey, when Robert's been said little comments like, well, all I'm hearing is the negative. I'm like, uh, what do you mean all you're hearing is the negative? You know? Like, oh, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, and so it's been a wake-up call to me because inside I'm thinking, well, I think a lot of great things. But sometimes only what they hear is negative. And so... Um, it's very important to check in with your husband and say, what are you hearing from me? And if, and if he's not feeling respected, then you need to be willing to change. So let me finish this message with one last quick story. I watched as one of my dear friends lost his job. He had poured his life into it. This was a man of God, a hard worker, diligent, faithful. And things didn't end like he wanted him to, and it was one of those cases where you thought, you know, life just isn't fair. And I wondered how his wife was going to respond. And the next day, after he lost his job, I saw something happen that touched me deeply. On social media, here's this picture of him, and she starts saying, I'm so proud of my husband. He's a man of God, he's faithful, he's true, he's noble. I thought, wow, that's beautiful. The next day, a picture of them too. I'm so in love with this man. He's such a great husband. The next day on social media, it's a picture with him holding one of his children. She said, so thankful for this man who's led our children, who's loved them, who's spoken identity over them. And that third day, tears came to my eyes because I realized the power a woman wields You know, in that moment, she could have said, you failed. Or she could have freaked out and said, what's going to happen to me? I'm not going to be provided for. But instead, she stepped up, and in his time of need, she respected him and spoke value to him. And at the end of seeing those days of posts, I had this realization. This man is one of the most blessed men on earth. Yeah, he might have lost his job, but he has something so much more precious than a career. He has a wife that believes in him. And I thought, you know what? This man is going to go on to do great things because a woman who respects, cherishes, and believes her husband is one of the greatest attributes a man has for fulfilling his destiny. You know, that's what we want marriage to be all about is living out God's best for our lives. Why don't you stand up? Next week is going to be an amazing week. We're going to actually talk about how we can make over a marriage. We're going to talk about fighting to flourish. You don't want to miss it. It's going to give you great tools. Father, we thank you for this time. We believe you want to give us great marriages. 
And I just I feel it in my heart, and I kind of saw it in my mind last night. I want to encourage you, if you're a married couple in here, and you're just saying, you know what, we need to commit our lives to God's purposes in marriage. I'd encourage you to just take your spouse by the hand and just come down to the altar right now. If you're just saying, you know what, I, I, I want to be on the right foundation, or maybe you're an engaged couple this morning. Uh, I, I want to just encourage you even now to come down if you're willing to say, you know what, we want the right foundation. We want the right purposes. We want to stand, and we want to stand before the Lord in our community and ask Him to pray for us. And I'm going to actually have us as a congregation pray over these different marriages. So if that's you this morning, if you're a couple just saying, yes, we want to have our marriage on, on right foundations, you come now. And can we just celebrate these marriages, church body? We want to be behind them. We want to get behind them. We want to sow in prayer. We want to support them. We want to bless these guys. Can I have some prayer team come to the sides this morning? Whatever your need is this morning, as these ones are just praying, husbands and wives, I just encourage you to start praying together, just consecrating yourselves to God. And prayer team, if you come to the side, if there's other needs in this house this morning, whether it's a, a relational or emotional uh, a healing need, we want to pray for you as well. You can go to the to the sides where we're going to have some of our leaders standing right now. Leaders, if you just move to the sides really quick, if you're a life leader or intern or if you're in the training school. Let's just sing one last song as we finish our time here and consecrating ourselves to the Lord.